0: This is the Tripartisan Podcast with Ben Swain, James Henderson, and David Staley. Get ready for the latest football and basketball news and opinions on Duke, NC State, and Carolina with our insiders. Now, here's the Tripartisan Podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Tripartisan Podcast on WRALsportsfan.com. Filling in for our typical host, Ben Swain, I'm Dave Staley here with James Henderson. Uh, ben spent his Saturday screaming at Duke for not putting up more than 55 points against Central, and as a result, he has no voice left for us. So we're just going to have to do our best to guess what he might say as we get into our discussion on this episode. James, how are you? Good, good. Really, really excited to get this, get this going. I've got to say, I did not realize how comfortable the host chair was. Ben has <laughs> always been in it in the past, and man, this thing is plush. I'm going to have a hard time giving it back.
1: Yeah, we fought over it a little bit, but I, you know, I went ahead and conceded it to you and said, "Hey, you go ahead and, and take control of it today." But yeah, <laughs> I <think> I,
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm hoping that you had a chance to watch some of the Duke game. Otherwise, we're going to have limited material here for the Blue Devils segment of the show. Did you Did you happen to catch any?
1: I did. You know, we talked about all pretty much probably on every podcast. You know, we we've got to reference our fantasy teams, get that out the way, and and so. I'm heavily invested in the Duke this year, which means I spent a large part of my Saturday afternoon watching Duke NC Central on Watch ESPN. Wow. Um, not many not many state followers or writers or fans will probably tell you that. But, yeah, I did get a chance to watch a lot of that uh, that Duke NC Central game.
0: Words you never thought you'd say. Exa- <laughs> oh, my gosh, yes. <laughs> so what, what was your biggest takeaway? You know, honestly uh, –
1: I mean, you know, we've doing the show with Ben. We've been able to kind of follow their season along, and and really, I've been impressed by how much they've been able to overcome some injuries. Uh, you know, they they talked about it in detail during the um during that game, and obviously NC Central was a game I don't think they, they were too concerned about, but um I, I thought even in that game, um, Quentin Harris, their starting quarterback, who's really their second stringer, he went down with an injury. Brent, Brenton Brown went down again as well. Um, and I think both of them were minor injuries, but they just kind of keep humming right along. Um, really, that you know, I think early on, uh, Central kept it a little close, like you may expect. I mean, I think that's a game where Duke could maybe, with Virginia Tech looming, there could be a little bit of looking ahead. Um, and so I, I wasn't too surprised to see Central kind of close the first quarter or two, but, but Duke extended the lead. I mean, I think um, – my biggest takeaway, though, is I think they're a really good team this year defensively. Um, they've, they've had some injuries on that side of the ball, but they seem sound. They're fundamentally sound. They tackle well. And, and obviously, I mean, if you look at their schedule, they haven't played um, the toughest of competition yet, certainly on their schedule. But play the teams in front of you and you take care of business. And, and, and I think they've been able to do that. They put themselves in the rankings nationally, and they have a huge game coming up with Virginia Tech.
0: So that that Virginia Tech game is coming up Saturday. It's at 7 p.m., so it's the big the big night game uh, for the ACC this upcoming weekend. Um, Duke's 4-0. Man, I just – I mean, I just – I said this in my column last week. I just view them as a perennial doormat, and it's just hard for me to wrap my head around the fact that 4-0 is just kind of, you know, chugging along for them at this point. Um, that's crazy. But – so – so Duke was in in that nighttime slot last weekend, um, and now State's going to be in that same same time times or Duke's going to be in the times that time slot next weekend. State was in that same time slot this past weekend, um, and the ACC had a brutal day. So I mean, how big of a how big of a win was that for NC State against Marshall on the road uh, this weekend?
1: Yeah, it's funny because you you think about the the day that the ACC had, um, you know, with with, uh, I mean, obviously, um, Pitt Pitt was two and one. I think going to take on UNC, who was zero and three. UNC wins, and then you look at the non conference games, the big old old Dominion win. I mean, I think State had a chance to kind of, um, I mean, just really fall in line with the rest of those teams, you know, and and at Marshall, I mean, that game was being touted as a sellout. I mean, Marshall was two and zero. Um, the expectation was it was going to be a rowdy crowd and, and uh, a, a tough game for NC State. And, and so I I was relatively impressed that they were able to go in there and win that game by 17. Um, you know, those types of games can be tricky. We, we've talked about it before, and I'm sure you've seen it. Obviously, you uh, following UNC, you saw it at East Carolina. I mean, you go in those types of environments against teams that don't get to the, get the face teams like you normally, and it can kind of be a hornet's nest. And, and I mean, obviously, Marshall doesn't get – an ACC program into their, into their stadium often. So um, I think that was the worry for NC state going in with their first road game of the season, a lot of new starters. How are they going to, going to um, handle it? And I thought they handled it well, um, you know, 37, 20 when defensively, you, you only gave up 13 points on the defensive side of the football, which, uh, I mean, I think you'll take any day of the week in this game, this era of college football. And, and so I thought state kind of, really put themselves in a position to, to say hey um, well we may be here this year in the ACC especially when you look across the league and, and just really I I think the best word to sum it up would probably be chaos I don't know really what your opinion of it is
0: well also I mean I've been I've been I've been going around the office and telling people oh man the Atlantic's the doormat this year you know the coastal bow down to your new coastal overlords um, I mean, it must be nice to be NC State and get and get to play Florida State and Louisville this year. It's normally a complaint, and this year it's like, oh, man, look, we got those guys coming up on the schedule. So, yeah, I mean, I would say it, it seems like this is a big chance. I mean, th- this could be the year for State, right? I mean, yes, cl- you've still got Clemson, right? But, you know, let's say you can pull <laughs> off pull off that upset over Clemson. You've got a shot at making it to Charlotte, right? Right, and I mean, the, and that's the... I think
1: that's the big complaint you, you, you're you still going to get from NC State fans and, and really Atlantic Division fans is you do still have Clemson on the schedule. And I think Clemson is clearly right now the superior team in the conference. And uh, it's funny because you, you're right about Louisville and FSU being down and then <laughs> NC State's going to probably tell you, you know, we, we haven't played Virginia in seven years, and, and this looks like it might be Bronco Mendenhall's chance to really make some noise in the Coastal. Because, um, you know, they're off to a really good start over there in Virginia. And so I, I think um, it, the, the Coastal looks like it's going to be solid this year. I still wonder about really all the teams, to be honest, outside of Clemson. And, I mean, I'm including NC State in that mix. I mean, I'm not, so, you know, everything's not sold. No one's really sold on NC State yet because they haven't been challenged. But I don't think. I guess my my thing is I think both divisions seem down this year, if that makes sense, because I'm not sure on Miami either. I mean, the one test they had this year, they looked terrible against LSU, and and they've changed quarterbacks. So, so, you know, I think Carolina's got a shot this week against them, which we'll talk about, I'm sure, later. But I think both divisions uh, honestly are down. I think the entire ACC looks down outside of the Tigers.
0: Oh, don't you worry? We'll definitely address the fact that Carolina got a win this weekend. <laughs> uh, so you mentioned Virginia, so I- I'll go ahead and say it. Now, Carolina's tied with Virginia for first in the coastal, and I'm just gonna keep spouting that until it stops being true. <laughs> um, but now state has a chance to actually help out Carolina and Duke this weekend, you know, if you guys can take out the who's. So, you know, Virginia's fresh off. I mean, they they destroyed Louisville. I didn't even I, I didn't get a chance to see any of that one. Um, but the score did not indicate it was a very good game. So, I mean, what's the biggest key this week for, for the Wolfpack to not just be another one of those crappy Atlantic division teams but maybe be uh, closer to Clemson?
1: Yeah, I, I, well, Virginia's um, just 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 researching them. I mean, I've been really impressed with their quarterback, uh, Bryce Perkins, a transfer, a uh, junior college transfer. I think he started out at Arizona State. Um, really a dynamic guy. I mean, I don't know if you saw his hurdle this week. Uh, he he had a, a play that made the you know sports center top team. He had one of those impressive hurdles, um, you know, carrying the football. But I think uh, nine nine touchdown passes, just two interceptions. I think he's rushed for another three scores. He's one of those dual threat guys. He's carrying the football 15, 16 times a game. And he's really the key to their offense. And I saw so I think for NC State, this is gonna be another test for their defense. and, and there's been so many questions about nc state's defense up to this point and i I, to to be honest they've been better than last year's defense through four games and and that was with last year's defense having all those star named guys they had and and when when doran was asked about it on on monday he talked about how the, the, the hope for them was that it could be kind of a sum of parts in terms of if you improve in the secondary and you improve at linebacker and you improve at nickel maybe you can overcome those losses on the defensive line. And I think NC State feels they've done that. I think they feel like they're better in the secondary, they're they're more athletic at linebacker, and they're good enough on the defensive line to where they're going to have a solid defense. And I think this is a really good test for them because in the opener against James Madison, uh, Ben DiNucci, their their quarterback, he had some success running the football. And um, I I think that that State knows going in against Virginia, they're going to have to try and slow down Bryce Perkins because with where state's at right now from an offensive standpoint. You know, Ryan Finley is averaging 352 yards passing per game. I think that's 80 more yards per game than the next the next best quarterback. And so I think state feels like every every Saturday they're going to have likely be better passing offense. And so if your def if their defense can just be good enough um, I think state feels like they're going to have a chance to win a lot of games like this game against Virginia, but it's going to come down to to getting Perkins off the field and, and really allowing Finley and the offense to kind of dictate
0: the pace of the game. So it's, it's funny you bring up the defense. I mean, I, I did, I'll probably touch on this a little bit later when we get into the, the Carolina side of things, but I did a little bit of research on just, you know, who are the, the, the national leaders in yards allowed per game uh, and NC state, I mean, they're not, it's not top 10, but I mean, they're 29th in the country. They're allowing 336 yards a game. Uh, and really what I was looking up was how many teams average or give up less than 350 yards a game. And there's only 36 teams in the country right now doing that, which is about just going back and looking a couple seasons. That's been about, that's been pretty standard. You know, somewhere between 35 and 38 teams giving up less than 350 yards a game. So I mean, I think if you can be in that area, I mean, you've got a chance to be a pretty good defense. I agree. And, and and I think,
1: um, and it's funny that States in that area, because really their a lot of their defensive principles have been more of a bend, don't break style, which generally when you play that style, you're going to give up more yardage, you know, and, and try and be better in terms of the red zone and, and different things like that. But they've been able to steal while playing that way, get off the field. And, um, Obviously against Mer- against Marshall, they had a big explosive play. They yielded for the long, the only touchdown from Marshall. I think it was an 80-yard touchdown pass. And so really, if you take that one play out, I mean, I thought they played lights out defensively in that game. You know, on the road, I mean, Tyree Brady, uh, the-, the star receiver for Marshall, he had 248 yards receiving against NC State last year in Carter-Finley Stadium, which was a record. And I think this year, I think State held him to two catches for 18 yards, I believe. And so really, you know, kind of focusing on a strength of the other team taking it away i mean i think that's something that that they're really trying to do this year defensively so i personally i've been i've been really impressed with them defensively but i still think and you know this when you look at the schedules of of all three of the teams we cover um it's going to get tougher going forward and so um i think nc state can be pleased right now and and really the hope is you know you don't have to be lights out when you have a guy like Finley. And and I I told you, I think we talked about this on one of the first podcasts. I really believe this season could set up for NC State a lot like, I think it was 2015 when UNC won the Coastal. Is that that the year, right? 2015? Right. And and the reason I say that is I thought UNC that year, they weren't great defensively, um, but they were so much better than everybody else on their schedule from an offensive standpoint um, that they just had to be good or solid or decent enough each week defensively, and they were able to win a lot of games. And you go, I, I know at NC State game, I mean, State, I think, scored 35 on them that year in Carter-Finley, but but Carolina scored 45. And, and I think that's kind of State's hope this year is if Finley and all those weapons can be to the point where you're scoring 30, 35, 40 a game, passing for 300, 350 yards every game, the defense just has to be good enough. And um, maybe he can be the difference maker for them.
0: So it it's funny you mentioned that I'm actually gonna I'm gonna bounce around I'm gonna bounce to one of my Carolina topics and then I'm gonna come back to state for a minute because so you, that's exactly kind of what I have written down about Carolina I mean it wasn't just true in 2015 I, I was kind of the research I was doing was I looked because you know Carolina gave up sure Carolina got the win this weekend we still managed to give up 402 yards and 35 points right and so right. I just started thinking like. I don't know. I just remember back in the day, back when I, back when I was growing up, um, it just seemed like, I don't know, giving up 350 yards a game just made you an average defense. And, and so then when I started looking at the numbers, I mean, going back all the way, the stats I was looking at only went back to like the Oh three Oh four season, I think. Um, But even back that far, only, like I said, 35 to 38 teams a year, we're holding, were holding teams less than 350 yards a game. So it's not – 350 is not, you know, a, a high number to give up, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And, I mean, I guess maybe I'm just remembering the Mac Brown era defense, right, of just locked down, really played well. Um, and so now when I look and I say, wow, we gave up 400 yards, it seems like a lot, wow. but you know, Carolina's 68th in the country right now, we're allowing 397 yards a game. Um, there's, you know, 70 teams that are allowing less than 400, which means there's, you know, another laundry list of teams that are, out, that are giving up more than that. I mean, 68th is nothing to write home about, but it's not like we're a hundredth in the country. Right. And so it's- I, it's, Sorry, go ahead. No, 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 I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. I was
1: going to say, I, I would imagine for UNC that's improvement, right? Um, um
0: uh, I actually did not look where we finished last year, but I okay. feel like yes, that would be an improvement from where we were last year. Um, if I had to, if I had to put money on it right now, um, my theory was that Carolina football is kind of like Carolina basketball in that we play better against other teams who like to play fast because, you know. For a, ever since Roy Williams got here, one of the things that's music to a Carolina fan's ears is to hear an opposing team or an opposing coach or opposing fan say, hey, we're going to try to run with you guys. Um, you know, Iowa State tried to do it in the 2005 second round of the NCAA tournament. Um, Carolina destroyed them. Indiana tried to do it a couple years ago in the, I think, the 2016 tournament. Carolina destroyed them. Michigan State really kind of said that going into the national championship game in 2009 and just got d- killed. I mean... Anytime a team says that, I just expect that that Roy is gonna, you know, obliterate them. And so I started thinking, well, maybe that's how Fedora is. But then as I started looking at the numbers, I thought, actually maybe we just do really well against teams that suck at defense. Right? <laughs> like right. we're gonna score a lot of points and hopefully we're gonna outscore however many points, you know, we can hold you to. Um which that makes the upcoming game against Miami kind of concerning for Carolina because you know they're only giving up 272 yards a game, uh, which is fifth in the country. Now, I mean, I I would probably counter that and say, you know, since the loss to LSU, uh, what it, who is is it Paul Feinbaum? They ain't played nobody. Exactly, uh, <laughs> right, right. So I mean, they've beaten Savannah State, Toledo, and FIU since then. So I don't I don't know that that's like, you know, you can't evaluate them as a complete team right now and say, well, they're definitely one of the top five defenses in the country. But I would say they're they're probably the best one that Carolina has played so far this year. Um, but hopping back for a minute before we completely leave NC state. So you mentioned Bryce Perkins and you already mentioned fantasy. So Bryce Perkins is my, actually he's actually my backup uh, quarterback on my fantasy team. Backup. Wow. Uh, well, I've got Eric Dungy. There you go. So I have two uh, dual threat quarterbacks and so far, I'm not sure I've picked the right one to start yet this season. Like they, they've both done well, but I keep, choosing the wrong one in terms of who's going to put up the most points that week. So, um, I'll see what I decide this week, but you know, I also have Gillespie, So I got to ask you, like, what should I expect out of him against Virginia this week?
1: Well, you know, I actually have him as well. And so he he gave us a 81, 81 rushing and two touchdowns this week, um, which, you know, you'll definitely take that, right? Um, yeah. (laughs) So (laughs) my hope is that again, (laughs) but, but you know, Really, I'm glad you brought that up because I've, I've spent most of the time on the podcast tonight talking about how I think NC State's offense is going to be a difference maker for them every week. But if I had to look at one glaring complaint or glaring issue with NC State's offense, it's been their efficiency in the red zone. And I think that's something that can, their inefficiency in the red zone, excuse me, that's something that cannot continue as they play better teams. And, and one of the stats that I found out, I found looking up, um, looking stuff up on them this week was they are 106th in the country in terms of touchdown conversions in the red zone. And, and so what that is, is so far they've made 17 trips into the red zone in three games and they've scored nine touchdowns. And, and so they're right around 52, 53%. And that's not good enough. Um, you know, you can't, when you play these better teams, you're going to have on your schedule, you can't end up setting, settling for field goals, which I think they, they, they've made six of seven field goals in the red zone. So, so they've been better there than they have in, in past years, but still, six field goals and nine touchdowns isn't a good a good um ratio. And 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 a lot of that's been because NC State's been trying to run the football in the red zone. Now, I wonder if that's because of the, the teams they played. You know, they maybe they felt like they can run it better. But when you look at, at their weapons they have and, and you know, Ryan Finley and and Kelvin Harmon six four and Steph Lewis is six three and Jacoby Myers six three. I mean all their receivers they got are, are big physical guys who should be fade, jump ball, red zone targets, I'm really surprised by that. And Ryan Finley, you know, we talked earlier, um, comparing him, just for instance, comparing him to Bryce Perkins. So Ryan Finley's averaging 40 passing attempts a game, and he's got over 350 yards passing per game. Perkins is at maybe 180 per game. I think he's attempting maybe 25 right around their passes per game. He's got nine passing touchdowns, and Finley only has five. And five and three games for a guy who's throwing the ball 40 times a game is not a high number. And so I think there's a disconnect right now between what NC State's doing in the red zone and and, and what Finley's doing. And, and that inefficiency is going to have to change. And while, while Reggie got two touchdowns in the game against Marshall and both of them came inside the five-yard line, which is great, I'm just not sure they're going to be able to run the football good enough, even against Virginia this weekend, for him to have that type of success. So I think you're going to start to see more passing for NC State in the red zone versus running it. And so I'm, you know, as a Reggie Gillespie owner, I'm kind of worried that maybe his, that might have been his best game, you know, in the near future, just because I'm not sure they're going to be able to sustain that type of success against the ACC schedule, which is coming
0: up. I'm not sure if you helped me make my decision or not there. My, my, my,
1: <laughs> my advice as a fantasy owner would be sell high.
0: <laughs> so, sell him. so So, you touched on something That I actually tweeted about the other day uh, It actually might have been During last weekend's games But I don't, I don't remember what game I was watching But it was I'm not going to remember what game it was But it was 14-6 to 6, And they sh- flashed a stat When one of the teams got into the red zone That showed red zone efficiency For both teams And it said 100% In two attempts for both teams. And so you just touched on what you you said. State scored nine touchdowns in 17 trips and they got six field goals. Right. So by by that stat, they're, you know, they're 15 out of 17. They're 90% or 85% or whatever that works out to be in the red zone. There's got to be a better way to do that stat where you get, you know, a hundred percent for a touchdown and 50% for a field goal or something that when it's fourteen to six, both teams should not have the same stat for red zone efficiency. <laughs> no, I,
1: I completely, and that's why I think the measure you should use is touchdown percentage. Right, I really do. I mean, and and that's like that. that like, for instance, NC State overall in the red zone, they're fiftieth in the country. You know, they're you know fifteen out of seventeen, which is 88 percent, which is fiftieth, and that sounds okay. But like I said, I, I don't really think you try to get into the red zone. To get field goals. Now I will say, I do think NC State's been impacted a little bit by a couple of things. For one, I think three of those field goals were on drives right before halftime, or it might have been two. And so I know, for instance, against Marshall, they got the ball with 45 seconds left, went down and, and kicked a field goal with, with no time left on the clock. Which, again, that counts as a red zone field goal. And you're, but you're in that scenario, you're kind of taking three points. You understand what I'm saying? You're happy to get three right. points when you right. only got exactly. 45 seconds. And so I think two of those have come from that. So I don't know if the stats really, you know, truly indicative of it, but I do know with NC state, it has been a problem. Doran has mentioned it this week that they want to look to score more touchdowns in the red zone. And I'm right there with you. I think just straight up red zone conversion numbers, you know, in terms of total conversions versus um, attempts is not a good indicator because I'm sure you're with me. You don't want to see, you know, I mean that—that that fifteen out of seventeen could be thirteen field goals. How's that really good? You know, right. And, and so, I think personally, I'd rather look at what. Tell me if you're getting touchdowns when you go down there.
0: <laughs> exactly, I'm with you. <laughs> All right, I've got one more. I've got one more state question that's sort of a state and a Carolina question rolled into one. This is this is my this is my <laughs> Carolina fan coming out at you as a state fan. Uh oh. Um, so I think it was the Georgia State game, second second week of the year, maybe. Yeah. Um, where my Twitter feed just absolutely blew up with state fans talking about how how could anyone expect them to go to a noon game in ninety five degree heat in the middle of September? This was just crazy. No game should ever be scheduled at that time. Yada yada yada. Fast forward two weeks. Carolina's plan same time slot twelve twenty against Pitt this weekend, and it's 95 degrees. Now it's, I'll, I'll give you, it's like later September. Um, and those same people are tweeting pictures of the empty, uh, empty, new, nice-looking Carolina blue seats in Keenan, and asking why no one's in the stands. And I just can't understand why people don't see the, the similarities there. And I'm just wondering if you see them or if you can defend... The, the twitter folks
1: <laughs> you know well i know this has been a big debate on twitter um you know in terms of when games are scheduled and played and all that stuff and personally i think you just play the game when you play it you know as a fan if you're a true fan you're going to go whether it's at, okay let me let me rephrase that i don't want to say you're not a true fan if you don't go to games because <laughs> i'm gonna be honest with you with it with HD TV and the price of concessions and the price it is now for a family to go to the games, it's not as easy as maybe it used to be. Um, and so I don't think you can say you're not a fan if you don't go necessarily to a game, but I, I would think um, to defend them, I would think their argument would be, at least for me, my, my my issue with that Georgia state game was more, it wasn't a conference game. And I would think you'd have more, um, leeway in terms of like like I, if if I remember correctly those games were scheduled maybe three or four months ago the first couple ones in the season in terms of what time they're played right and so I think you should have more leeway for non-conference games to schedule those at night if you'd like to um, and so I always thought that was the the complaint they were having was more why would you expect us to go to a noon game against Georgia State in the first at the beginning of September. When that's a non-conference game against a team we're probably going to beat by 25 or 30, why should I go watch that? Now, if it's Clemson, I don't think you're going to have much complaint about it. Not maybe, maybe you still do, but do you understand what I mean? I think that's kind of the difference. At least I was expecting was maybe that time was more dictated for a an opponent to where you could schedule it at night. Um, whereas I think the Carolina Pit game, they're probably they're the people that are tweeting photos are probably saying. This is your ACC opener. This is your home opener against an ACC team. Why don't you have more fans there? Uh, again, I'm not going to be one to really bang on the fans because, I mean, there's reasons to go. There's reasons not to go. I mean, you know, I think that, that was the case everywhere in the state this week, especially. You know, obviously you had the hurricane situation. So that could impact fans showing up. Obviously the heat. I mean, the time. So I, I you know, I don't really, I'm not really getting into all that, you know, from my standpoint. Um, but I would think that would be maybe their difference is, you know, yeah, we were making those comments about a Georgia State at home versus the ACC home opener against Pitt. Like if it's the same situation this weekend for NC State when you're playing Virginia um, and, and it's there's some empty seats and a bunch of empty seats, I think you deserve a reason to, to criticize NC State fans for that, to be honest with you, because I think you should show up for Virginia for a noon game, um, and so maybe that was their argument with Pitt. Uh, if 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 I'm trying to defend them,
0: I think that's fair. I also I also agree with you that man, television has come a long way in the last twenty years, and meant- it's just it's getting harder and harder for you know the stadiums to compete. I mean, you know, Carolina shrunk the size of Keenan this year, or yeah, shrunk it this year um, by putting in those you know more comfortable bucket seats. That, you know, hopefully will you know, if people have more space and, you know, your back's not hurting midway through the second quarter, maybe you're more inclined to stay. They've also they've done some other stuff. Um, They've got half price concessions for the first 45 minutes, I think, after the gate opens or something. So, I mean, they're trying stuff and I'm sure stadiums all across the country are trying stuff to get people to come. But, you know, it's just hard to compete with not having to fight through traffic, not having to, you know, figure out parking not having to do all that stuff, and instead be able to sit on my couch in a climate-controlled room and watch numerous games at the same time, flipping back and forth between channels and between commercials and stuff. I mean, it's just—it's hard to get people to come out to an event like that. And then, you know, I, well, I, look,
1: I'm I'm right there with you. I think it's it's an issue of all across college football. I think there. I mean, I've read some articles on it. Um, and, and again, you know, for all these programs it also doesn't help if you're not really good, you know, to be, to be blunt, to be honest. I mean, that's the same at, at, I'm sure at NC state, if they're struggling, you know, I mean, I don't think you're going to have a sold out Carter Finley stadium for, for a Georgia state game. If you're, if you're struggling or a, or even a Virginia game, I mean, it helps when you have momentum and positive momentum. Um, and then uh, man, you're right. It's, you know, being able to stay at home and, and watch, I don't know how people have their different man caves and and, and dens and, and different things set up. You know, I, yeah, I've got multiple TVs I can watch games on. It makes it really easy um, to, to to do that. So I, I think all these programs are going to start to get more creative in terms of how they market their game day experience to really be able to maintain those types of environments. Um, or, or it's just going to be something that I think is going to continue to happen um, just because the age of of television and social media and being able to watch games on your cell phones and wherever you're at and and DVR, I mean that's another thing we didn't mention that's that's because that's really I think impacting as well is you're able to DVR games and and watch them back. Um, that that is making it a situation where having to watch a game live is not necessary anymore. And so I think that's impacting um, attendance across the board. And and, and I do think though. As the league, the ACC needs to find a way to do something about these noon games, just because, um, you know, especially early in the year. I mean, heat's an issue, but but also, I mean, I think a lot of fans don't want to go experience your game if you're going to go watch a game. Maybe you don't want to do it for for a noon game when you got to get out there at 10 o'clock to tailgate and, and and different things like
0: that. Right. Um. Yeah. So back backing up to DVR. DVR is like the one thing that I've not been able to get behind for, for sporting events. I still, it just doesn't, does not feel the same to me to watch it on DVR. Even if I don't know what's happened, if I've managed to keep my phone off, stay away from the internet, not have somebody run by me and tell me what happened. Um, I still know that the game's already over or that, you know, the game is ahead of where I am watching it and it, right. just, it doesn't feel the same to me.
1: Um, oh, I'm right there with you. I, 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 <laughs> I, I I don't I can't remember the time last time I've actually had the DVR game instead of watching it live, but I think probably us and the people who listen to this podcast are different types of fans than maybe some of the casual fan fans who are just you know hey I am I, I, not able to go to to Carter Finley today I'll DVR the game and go to my son's soccer game and and watch it when I get back because it's at noon for some reason or you know I mean you may have something going on. Um, and I just think DVR gives that type of fan a, a, a different um, outlet to being able to kind of watch it back at their own leisure and and and, and not have to go out and, and watch it live. But I'm right there with you. I think DVR is something that, you know, the, the closest I come to using my DVR is to watch a game back after I've already
0: watched it. <laughs> so, um,
1: <laughs> kind of right there. Well, I,
0: I, I do think there's also something to be said for being able to watch something in an hour that takes four hours to do live. Right. Um, so, yes. if we could do something about the length of games, if we could just go back to the three-hour days of of college football games, I think that would do a, a ton for for watching on television and for attendance. Because I mean, it is it's it's a full day commitment, especially for a noon game. Right. I mean, nine thirty game doesn't end until I mean a Carolina game if it starts at noon. Odds are it does not end until four. Um, and so right. you know. Your whole your traffic.
1: day is gone. Yeah. And your traffic. It's funny. You mentioned that because me and my wife was actually having the discussion, uh, on Monday about, um, you know, being able, you know, I run inside pack sports, so I obviously don't have to cover every game. I'll have writers there, but we've yet to attend a game in probably three or four years, just as a family, me, me, my wife, my two kids. And she mentioned it to me on Monday. Um, you know, do, would I be interested or would I want to take the kids to see, uh, Virginia game this weekend and and it's funny you talk we're talking about this because her exact comments were you know if we can get if we can go out there and just um stay maybe for a quarter or two I think that'll be enough for him from an experience standpoint (laughs) (laughs) and so I'm like yeah you know because she wanted she obviously wants to do the tailgating aspect of it so when I told her I'm like yeah because if you take your 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 seven-year-old or your nine-year-old out there at at nine thirty for a noon game in the first quarter of these games, or the second quarter, you're, it's two or two thirty before that. That you're even at halftime, you've been out there five and a half, six hours, and yeah, they're going to be ready to go. And 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 you're right. I mean, I think that's something that the typical family now has to deal with in terms of tailgating and commercials and and different things like that. And especially in this era of where where our children are at, you know, my son and my daughter, they're they're just as happy man being on their iPhone or iPad or whatever they've got now versus, you know, when me and you were young, we looked forward to going to games because we didn't have the different type of um
0: because you know, we needed
1: uh, an activity. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have the different types of activities they have to keep them busy. So it, it's like, you know, I, I'd probably I'm probably pulling teeth getting them out there for six hours in a given day. Um so man, I, I think this is a great discussion because it, it, it tells you how I think just looking at raw numbers of attendance and trust me, I'm not trying to give UNC an out. I know I'm gonna have some NC State fans tweeting at me saying, "Hey, man, you're you're being soft on UNC." <laughs> but I, but I just think it's it's just the nature of of really of really college college athletics and even professional athletics now. It's hard getting people to games.
0: Yeah, and we've had we've had similar things um, with with our family. I remember I can't remember what game it was. It was it was I mean it was a basketball game. And it was a game that Carolina – I mean, it was a non-conference game, and we got upset. And I can't remember um, – Belmont maybe is is who it was. And we took our kids, and I just remember thinking, I'm going to get them popcorn at halftime. And I, I don't even think we made it to the under 12 timeout before. I was like, fine, I'll get you popcorn now. And then, <laughs> you know, <laughs> halftime rolls around, I'm like, if we leave right now, I can get home in time to see almost the entire second half on television. Let's just go.
1: <laughs> yeah, you, and you 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 actually got out
0: pretty lucky. It's funny because I took my
1: son, um, I think it was two years ago, I took him to, that was the last basketball game I took him to. And really it was the first one, it was just me and him, and it was Wake um, at, at, at a PNC Arena. And I was wondering, I'm like, okay, how long is he going to be able to tolerate this? Because he was five at the time. And, you know, first half, he was good. Halftime, we go and get concessions. He's great. We get to the 16 minute mark. He looks at me just dead in the face, no expression, daddy, I'm ready to go. And you know how it is, man, at that age when you say you're ready to go, they're going, you're going because it's, it's going to be it's going to be hard getting them to stay. So, I, you know, we left it at 16 minute mark and I think I made it home maybe in time to see the last 4 minutes. But yeah, I mean, you're kind of on a well, with kids that age and 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 families you're you're taking them out there, you're you're kind of on a, a running clock <laughs> in terms of how long <laughs> How long you can actually stay a
0: game. So well, hopefully State at least won that game. I did look it up. It was Belmont. 2013, 2014, 83 to 80 loss. Yeah, I think State State took care of
1: Wake. They've they've been pretty, pretty well on, pretty good against them at home um last couple of years. Although that was Godfrey, so I'm
0: not my real <laughs> sure. <laughs> All right. Well, let's let's hop into Carolina for just a couple minutes. Yeah, actually, sure. I don't have a I don't have a ton of stuff about Carolina this week. I mean it's it's great to get a win. It's it's great to finally get the goose egg out of that column, um, and it, it's nice that it came in the the first conference game of the year. So now one and zero, and I mean really, yeah, the Miami game is going to be tough. But I mean, you look at the rest of the schedule, and it it's not super scary now. I mean, I think winning a game kind of probably taints your. You know, it was super scary a week ago, right? So. It's probably it was probably not as scary a week ago as everyone thought it was, and now it's probably more scary than everyone is maybe thinking it is. Or maybe I'm just maybe I just have rose-colored glasses right now and and have higher expectations. No, I I, well, let me. Here's what I'll do. Let me let me just take
1: over as host for a little bit. I'll throw you some questions on UNC. Um, All right. Kind of talk about them because I'm I'm you know I'm right there with you. It's funny we had a discussion on our message boards about Carolina. Last week. And um, I had actually picked UNC to beat Pitt on our board and and, uh, and state fans thought I was crazy because, you know, they lost the ECU. And how can they possibly beat Pitt after you lose the ECU? And and I explained to them, hey, it's college football. You know, I, <laughs> th- th- there was the same question the week before. How can you possibly think ECU has a shot against UNC after losing to A&T? And it just sometimes, you know, it happens. But I but I thought I don't really honestly, I don't really think Pitt's a great team. Um, and I think UNC has some talent, and and you know when you look at their schedule now, and you see what happened at Virginia Tech with the Old Dominion loss, and I, and and Josh Joshua Jackson, their quarterback, uh, I think he broke his leg, so he's out um for for probably the season, so that game right. looking different, and, you know, a home game for for UNC against Virginia Tech. I think that game looks different, but when you run through their schedule, you know, after this Miami game at Miami, which I think is going to be tough. But you got Virginia Tech at home, Syracuse, Virginia. I mean, I think Georgia Tech has looked terrible. Um, at Duke, that might be tough. Then you got Western Carolina and NC State. I mean, I think this schedule is really starting to open up for UNC. Um, and and so I kind of want to ask you, though um, I think the majority of their guys are coming off their, their suspensions now, if that's accurate, um, or at least the ones that were out the first four games, right? I think they're done.
0: Yeah, um, so um, basically, you know, Chaz Surratt is coming back. And so, I mean, I think, you know, we can get into a whole debate over who's going to be the quarterback when when the game kicks off on Thursday night. Um, Bo Corrales at wide receivers coming in. And so, I mean, now we're going to have more, you know, skill at the skill positions. And I think if, if I maybe underestimated how big a deal the suspensions were going to be at the start of the season. Right, um, and so I, I do think that when some of these players come back, maybe Carolina does look like a slightly different team uh, this weekend or, or Thursday. You'll see uh, Malik Carney coming back in at at defensive end, but he's doing that staggered suspension with Fox. And so uh, I think Carney played the first game, Fox played the next two, and then maybe Carney plays the next two, and Fox plays. The next, and then they're both. Uh, if that was six games, then they're both back for you know the remaining six games of the season. Um, so I mean, th- those are some of the bigger names that you're going to finally start to be seeing more of now that the suspensions are are over or near over. At least until Carolina potentially adds a twelfth game, at which point all the people that had four games suspensions are now going to have to serve it. in that uh, I guess they serve it. You know, if Carolina announces before game. Eight of the season that they've added a 12th game now those guys have to sit in in game eight again um,
1: right
0: so yeah well, well,
1: well i think um you know when you look at a 38-35 win over Pittsburgh, um it seems like they were efficient on offense and, and i know there had been questions about Elliot uh but and getting Surratt back now i mean do you think this game against miami is a chance to to, to turn it over to Surratt, or do you feel like um, Elliot's done enough um, to to kind of maintain that that starting job at quarterback.
0: Well, so I mean, it, it's tricky, right? Because if 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 the pit game hadn't happened, I think everyone would just say, "Hey, give give Surat a chance." Right. Um, because Elliot just did not look good in the first two games, but then you know if you look at his numbers in the in the in the pit game. I mean, he was 22 of 31, 313 yards, two touchdowns, and it was by far his best game as, you know, as Carolina's quarterback. Um, and so – and Larry Fedora, you know, bless him, doesn't answer any questions about uh-huh. it. I mean, <laughs> they they ask, you know, do you think you might play two two quarterbacks this week? And his answer is, like, maybe yes, maybe no. You'll just have to wait and see. I mean, there's just, there's zero commitment of any kind to, to making any sort of decision And I mean, he even somewhat hinted at the very end of his, his media availability um, about the fact that we have three quarterbacks, right? Right. Um, (laughs) So I don't know that, I don't think that based, based on how he looked against Pitt, I don't think that Elliott is just going to, you know, get shown the bench. I right. do think they'll both play, and I imagine... I mean, I, I have to imagine that Elliot will start. Um, and I don't know. Like, Fedora, uh, you know, for what year was it? Was it uh, Marquise and... And Mitch. Uh, yeah. Was it Marquise and Mitch that rotated? Um... No, no. It wasn't them that rotated, but who, whatever it was, the two that rotated, he was very... You know, he would say, all right, well, we're going to do first two drives, this guy, third drive, this guy. And then we're going to look and see, you know, how we feel after that. Or, you know, he would he would script the first few drives of here's who it's going to be. And I don't know if he'll do something like that again um, with Elliott and Surratt. And I I can't imagine Fortin playing. Um, I mean, I might have been Renner. Was it Bryn Renner? Ah, yeah, that sounds right. Um, Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I think. I think you'll see both quarterbacks. Like I said, I, I don't. I don't think you'll see, unless something goes wrong. I don't think you'll see Fortin play. I, and it's funny because I remember, you know, our, I guess our first, I don't know if it was the first or second podcast, but the, the the podcast after the first week of games, and I said I was proud of Fedora for not, you know, benching Elliott even though he had a bad game. But I guess in retrospect, I mean, you only have a few opportunities legitimate opportunities to give Fortin reps right? because, um, I mean, you know, he can play in four games. Um, and so, or, or I don't know, is the red shirt rule the same as the suspension rule? Maybe he can only play in three games now.
1: No, you can do um, four. I think. Um, yeah.
0: Okay. Um, so, I mean, but it just seems unlikely that a Thursday night primetime game against Miami is maybe the time to, to have him, make an appearance. Um, I mean, I think you've still got Western Carolina on the schedule as a, as a chance for him to go out there. But I mean, I think unless, unless Elliot and Surratt are both just, you know, stinking up the place, I I don't think Fortin comes out on, on Thursday. Um, It's also funny because uh, for as much as Fedora won't name a starting quarterback, neither will Mark Richt. So Carolina also Uh. doesn't know who they're going to be playing against. So uh, I guess Thursday night at kickoff, we'll find out which, which two-ish of four to five potential quarterbacks are going to be getting the bulk of the snaps?
1: Yeah, no, um, <laughs> I, I would think it would be Elliott just because short week, it, it, you can't imagine that not being eligible to play in games that, um, that Surratt's taken a ton of reps with the starters. And I, it would actually give you um, a nice 10-day window there with playing that Thursday night game, if you want to go with him going forward, you know, you've got that window there to kind of really get that implemented. But, um, you know, I I don't, I I think I'm kind of with you there. I didn't even know his numbers, Nate uh, Elliott's numbers were that that good. Uh, 313 yards, two touchdowns against Pitt. It might be hard to pull him, you know, after that performance. Um, And he didn't,
0: you know, he didn't do anything spectacular, but he didn't miss many throws though. He missed a lot of, he missed a couple deep bombs in, uh, I guess, both games. Um, against cal and ecu that you know had he had he hit the receiver who i mean some of them were were not wide open but some of them some of them were relatively open some of them were just hey the receiver probably could have had a chance at it even though he was you know kind of well covered but you just completely missed him and so he just didn't do that against pitt he he was solid and not not spectacular um right is probably Elliott's ceiling to be honest
1: Right, and and I think when you look at the league this year, you need that, you know, because I think Carolina's going to be able to run the ball on most of these teams. I think they've got a really good running game, and you just need your quarterback to not kill you. I, I think so. Um, I think that if you can allow your running backs to, 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 to kind of control the game for you, and I'm speaking about this from UNC's perspective, at least what I've seen from them, they've got enough weapons through the air where he just really has to be kind of a distributor. I mean, you can't have a... A four-interception performance like you did against Kyle. I mean, I think looking back on that game, you may say we could have won that one. You know, right. if if we take care of the football. And, and I think the ECU game. I still believe that game was just a perfect storm for uh, for ECU. I mean, and it happens sometimes. You know, I'm I'm like I told you at the beginning of the podcast. I'm big on watching the NFL. Minnesota, the Minnesota Vikings were a 17-point home favorite to the Buffalo Bills and lost by two touchdowns this weekend. I mean, sometimes it just. <laughs> You know, it just happens. I mean, I think it was the first time that's happened in 30 years or something along. Something like, and so each game, you're never, you're, you're never certain, but perfect storms can happen for teams. And I, and I just think that, you know, I think UNC plays ECU 10 times. They probably beat them seven or eight. They just got one of the times you didn't. So I think Elliot, if he, if he can just manage the game for him, he can, you know, UNC has a chance. There's some winnable games on the schedule because I really think the Atlantic, the coastal, I think the league is down this year. and Maybe all of college football is, I don't know. But there's not really, when I look at UNC's schedule, there's not a team that should scare a UNC opponent. And I do think, just like at NC State, I think both programs should be optimistic um, about what they've got going forward. And we don't want to leave Duke out, you know. It's funny, because I thought one of the things we wanted to talk about on this podcast is was how all three of our teams that we covered were pretty much carrying the league <laughs> this past <laughs> week going, going <laughs> freaking out. Um, so we can kind of, kind of talk about the triangle a little bit in
0: football, huh? Exactly. Well, I don't, I don't know if Carolina needs a perfect storm this weekend, but according to Vegas, they might need close. They're like 18 to 19 point underdogs on Thursday night against Miami. So we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. Um, and of course, unfortunately, um, I mean, you mentioned you're actually, you actually probably are not as in tune with the Carolina schedule as I am, but you know, who, Whatever happens, um somebody's gonna get even more than ten days uh to to get some reps with the first team because Carolina's got a bye week the following week. Oh so wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. I'm actually gonna miss football for a while because we play Thursday and then we don't play again until the thirteenth, like when Virginia Tech comes to town, uh or when we go to Virginia Tech, whichever it is. Um so I mean that's that's gonna be a, a long break without without anything to watch. So um We'll see what happens there. Uh, any any final parting shots before we wrap this this one up? Well, you know, I was going to ask you what are your um what are you writing on this week? Uh, that's a great question. I <laughs> i uh, i did a little um a little smorgasbord of of various things. I threw some time of possession stats in there. I was I mostly just spent the whole t- column trying not to say I told you so after being vindicated in my. In my selection last week of saying that Carolina's path to the Coastal Crown was pretty clear, um, and now here we are, one and zero. So I mean, I'm I'm on top of the world.
1: Well, you can you can confidently say we control our own destiny. Exactly, uh, and, and that and that's kind of where you where you want to leave it. You know, I I I tell you, I think um, WREL gave me a solid by giving me that Friday slot because it gives me a lot of time to kind of talk about what my or think about what I want to write because you know it's not easy each week um, trying to come up with, with 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 your topic but but i think with nc state I, mean, I am going to probably go into the the red zone stuff we talked about earlier just because i i think that you know even though you you feel like you're really good offensively a lot of times these games become closer than you may expect um both ways each week and little things like having to settle for field goals and not being able to score in the red zone i mean when you step back and look at a twelve, thirteen game season, that could be the difference between finishing seven and five and nine and three or five and seven. It really can. And I think that's one of the areas where NC State needs to be careful um because if they don't if they don't shore that up and they don't become a team that that is much more um, uh, i guess better better equipped to score touchdowns in the red zone it it could it could hurt them as early as this weekend.
0: Well, I guess we'll see if this time next week uh, all of the Triangle teams are still undefeated in the in the ACC.
1: So, yeah, we'll see. I mean, and and maybe you guys can uh, can pat me on the back next week if they can knock off Virginia.
0: <laughs> we Ben and I will both be appreciative. <laughs> all right. Well, for James Henderson and the absent Ben Swain, this is Dave Staley signing off for the Tripartisan Podcast. We'll talk to you next week. You've been listening to the Tripartisan Podcast with Ben Swain, James Henderson, and David Staley. We hope you enjoy this show every week during the ACC football and basketball season. Our three insiders will have another installment next week on all the football and basketball happenings with Duke, NC State, and Carolina. Don't forget you can download and listen to this podcast at WRALsportsfan.com, the WRAL Sports Fan app, or subscribe to it in iTunes and Google Play stores.